Hey, you're listening to the Dudes Talking Sports Podcast. I'm Casey Foreman. And I'm Austin Baroff. We're a couple of guys talking about what's going on in the world of sports. This is our first podcast together, and it'll be streaming on Spotify every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's up, everyone? You're listening to Dudes Talking Sports. Uh, it's just me, Casey, today. Uh, but, you know, I still got a, a lot of stuff to talk about. And I want to start with talking about something that is actually, you know, pretty hard to talk about. And, you know, that is uh, talking about the different eras in sports and comparing, uh, you know, the different eras in sports. And, you know, with the Last Dance documentary coming out uh, every week now for the past, what, four or five weeks, uh, one thing that's been on everybody's mind uh, heavily has obviously been Michael Jordan and, you know, his his era, you know, the 80s and 90s. And, you know, obviously people uh, have a way of bringing in now, now uh, today's era and, you know, the players nowadays, rightfully so. You know, it gives us t- tons of stuff to talk about and debate. And uh, that's why everyone, you know, loves loves talking about sports. You know, what's better than that? But still, it's one of the hardest things uh, to debate and, you know, one of the most controversial things you can debate. But here uh, here lately, we've been hearing uh, specifically about Michael Jordan and his scoring in today's game, you know, with the game being so spread out. Uh, people have been saying, uh, specifically in the scoring average, that it would be somewhere between 40, I've heard between 40, 50, or 60 a game between some people, which I think is, you know, absurd when you're talking about averaging 60 points. Um, but when you ask me, could uh, Michael Jordan a- a average 40-plus points a game or 40 points a game in today's NBA? Uh, yeah, totally. You know, we see James Harden doing it. Uh, he's not necessarily 40, but he's averaging 36 points a game. I know two buckets away from the 40, but still, uh, if someone like James Harden, and we all know uh, the type of player Michael Jordan could, there's no doubt in my mind he could go out there and, yes, he could he could average 40 points a game. Um, but the there's no necess, there's no necessarily uh, any facts to back that up. Uh, we know he's one of the highest scoring. He has one of the highest scoring averages of all time. You know, with the 37 points per game in 1986 and 87. Uh, still, his second highest scoring uh, average was 35 the next season. So the fact that people are pulling out that he would score the, this 40, 50, I've heard 60 a game in today's uh, today's style of play, I think is laughable, <laughs> honestly. I don't think that's possible in today's style of play. Uh, no matter who you are, uh, 60 to 50 points a game, that's something we are only going to see once, something uh, none of us saw even, uh, but that's something that the league is only going to see once. And that was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. So um, I don't think that would uh, necessarily happen today's game, uh, even though with the floor being so spread, I I definitely would see Michael taking advantage of that mid-range because it is a, it's not something we see a lot of players doing right now. We see Kawhi doing it, doing it very well. He's the biggest player that comes to my mind. You know, Chris Paul is a big mid-range guy, but... 
you know, it's it's a, a dying game in the NBA, and that's obviously that was the biggest part of his game, the mid range, and then getting to the paint. Uh, that was my second point. So getting to the paint is also uh, debatably the easiest it has ever been, and it's no uh, <laughs> it's no joke. Or you know, everybody knows that the big man is. I don't want to say it's gone away in the NBA, but it is fading, and uh, the big man no longer obviously runs uh, the NBA. Uh, so Jordan wouldn't have to deal with necessarily all of those, you know, big dominant threats down low in the paint that he did in his era necessarily. So that's a favor to him, which would obviously help the scoring average, the way they can defend now, you know, with the hand checking gone away and. Just a lack of physical play now, uh, being more of a uh, physical, or no, sorry, more of a finesse style of play and, you know, skill type. And he was obviously one of the most skilled players ever, if not the most. So there's no doubt he would thrive in that. And the, the new laws and the new, the new uh, rules, he would pick them up just fine. I don't think that would affect his gameplay whatsoever. But the fact that people are coming out and saying that, uh, I can't, I don't want to name any specific names, obviously, but I've heard, you know, 50, 60 points. And again, that's just absurd. There's just no way he, he would be able to do that. And if he could, it would not translate uh, to any style of winning or high level of play. That was my third point. So yes, he could average these types uh, of points, this high of uh, a scoring average, maybe around the 40 points. Sure, if that, if that makes you happy, sure, he could average 40 points a game. Uh, however, we see the same type thing with James Harden. The single, obviously his, I don't want to necessarily compare him, uh, James Harden and Michael Jordan, but with the one-player-centric system like James Harden has been playing in um, before Russ and Chris Paul, um that would that was really what we saw Jordan playing uh, as or with before he got uh, his team built around him. You know, when he was averaging those 37, 35 points, he didn't have the whole squad with him. It was necessarily it was his team, his offense, and he was getting the ball. He was getting a lot of the shots. Uh, so, and he wasn't necessarily winning. You know, we saw him losing to the Celtics, to the Pistons in those rounds or in those years. And I think we would see the same relative thing. Uh, I see. I say we see the same relative thing. You know, obviously with the East being what it is now, uh, like Giannis being a one-man show, somewhat being able to you know carry his team to the Eastern Conference Finals. Michael could obviously do that. Obviously, he he would be able to take them like LeBron did, take a team uh, solo to the NBA Finals. But let's say he matches up uh, with against a team like the Golden State Warriors, and he is the only player averaging 40 points a game. I don't see him taking down a huge juggernaut like we saw uh, LeBron. Uh, his, you know, solo uh, season uh, with at the year after Kyrie, the year Kyrie left, uh, when he was his last year in Cleveland, um, it was Batman, and he didn't have a Robin. You know, he was Superman, basically, then. And... Uh, that that's what it would be like with Jordan, and I think it would it would uh, translate to the same sort of uh, success. You know, he would get to the finals, but maybe he wins one game, maybe he'd get the two game against them. But still, I don't think he would have enough of the advantage. The solo type of play, you know, the way again we can study a defense now. There's so much tape, so easy to 
I don't say it's so easy to break down a, a defense or an offense, but it's easier. Uh, the we have more resources than ever, and if, especially if it's one player and you can expose the one thing. Uh, we knew that the, he wasn't great at, and that was shooting the three ball. Okay, you 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 can necessarily give him some room at at that three line and then no more you know nothing past that because that mid-range game is obviously where he thrives um you can't let him post you up you have to keep him outside of that three-point arc because we saw uh his later years in chicago whenever they pushed that three-point line back we saw him struggle i don't necessarily have the exact percentage but I know it dropped um, from when it was closer in his earlier or mid years in Chicago. He had a higher three point percentage, and then as soon as they moved it back to what we see it is now, a, re- a real three pointer, uh, which we see all the NBA players being great at now, uh, he struggled, obviously, averaging, I think, around 25%, 24%. So obviously, he is not an elite three point shooter. Don't tell me he could work on it. He's the all time greatest. I know he could work on it. Uh, but still, he, he could have worked on it then, and we still saw it. Uh, we still saw that be a, not necessarily a big part of his game. Okay, that was not something he relied on. And the one time I saw a very good point on uh, what was the show called? Uh, first things first this morning. Uh, so Nick Wright was talking about how Michael Jordan. Uh, and so as he, I don't want to bring up another guy's point. I don't want to steal another guy's point. So never mind. I want to talk about that. But still. Michael Jordan would be a solo man in the NBA Finals if, if uh, let's say, he's averaging 40 points. I don't think it would translate translate to any uh, huge success, uh, like people were saying. Uh, you know, he could have worked on the three ball back then. He didn't. I don't want to bag on him, but again, I just don't think. Um, yes, he can average 40 points, but what that what is that going to do? You know, what is that going to win him the six championships today? No, he needs the team around him still. And that's still back to square one. You know, he needs the team around him. But yes, I, I 100% believe his scoring average could be through the roof with the mid range and then the, the uh, paint being as wide open as ever. Uh, we see uh, Russell Westbrook completely taking advantage of that. Um, averaging averaging a th- thirty point triple double uh, right after they traded Trink, uh, Clint Capella. I'm sorry, uh, we saw him thrive with that paint uh, wide open. I can only imagine what Michael Jordan would do with that mid range and that uh, paint being uh, wide open. And obviously Russell Westbrook being someone I don't want to say comparable to Michael Jordan, not, not legacy wise, obviously, but as far as like mindset and style of play, intensity wise, you know they're similar. They're similar athletes and. I think he would thrive in the same kind of mindset or the same kind of style of play. He would have to kind of remove uh, and now a gay's game at least. Uh, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, he did play against you know the Ewing. He did have Rodman down low with him, but he didn't necessarily have a big center on his team all of the time. So, yeah, you might want to go with the small ball with him as well. I know I'm getting off topic, but still, yeah, I think he could score a lot of points. But as far as success in the NBA. I don't, I don't think it would uh, translate to anything big, anything big at all. Um, but again, dude did average thirty-seven points in nineteen eighty-six. Uh, in nineteen eighty-seven, went ahead and backed it up with thirty-five points, and then eighty-nine when we saw him getting a little more help in eighty-nine, ninety before that championship run in ninety-one, um, averaging thirty-three points. You know that was just before the push, the big push, and. 
Uh, we saw his average drop around the 30, 29 points when he was uh, first starting the push against, you know, when he first beat the Pistons and beat the Lakers, uh, and then going forward, beating the Trailblazers and such. Um, we saw his average go down slightly. Now, I don't want to say huge. Obviously, he was still at the 28, 29 mark always, um, and that was walking out of bed for him. He was getting that 28, 29 um, but still, that's what you—that's what you need to get uh, when when you want that true success. Because usually, you have those other pieces around you who need the other points, the other touches, all the shots. Um, so we saw it with LeBron in in um, Miami, Durant and in, Curry in, in uh, Golden State. Uh, you know, everywhere uh, we've seen it with Durant and Westbrook when they were together. Obviously, like. Shots are limited. Whenever Westbrook was by himself, he took as many shots as he wanted, you know? Um, so that's the biggest thing. Um, yes, he could score that many points, but again, I'm hammering this point, but no, I don't think it would relate to the big success, um, him scoring that many points. But again, the lane was wide open, so yeah, I guarantee he'd go nuts, and he would definitely score a whole lot of points. Um, definitely definitely the greatest, uh, one of the greatest players ever, if not the greatest, and... Uh, yeah, he would dominate in this era. But before I take a break, I want to address one more um, problem I have, and that is saying that the NBA players nowadays, uh, and specifically I heard some people talking about you know Kevin Durant, LeBron James, not being able to play in the Jordan era uh, because of the physicality and the game or a style of play. And I just I – just, I laugh at those people just because you know what would what would they do? Obviously, it was it was a perimeter centric. No, sorry, it was a post centric game. You know, everything back then was it was it was mid range post. Those we didn't see a whole lot of three point shooters. That, that's the biggest excuse for Michael not being a great three point shooter is you know they didn't really shoot it back then. Okay. But imagine if you had a guy back then who always did, you know, like Larry Bird. That's why we always remember him so highly because he did shoot the ball at a high clip. Um, but still, imagine a, what, what would someone back in the day, let's say I can't, uh, the guy who was uh, on Phoenix guarding Michael in the documentary. Uh, I'm not going to attempt to butcher anybody's name, but still, you put a seven-foot monster on on the court let's say we replace michael with kevin durant right there you're telling me kevin durant will not have the same not i don't not, not the exact same but relatively to the same success being seven feet tall and when everyone is in the paint being someone who can stretch the ball outwards toward the perimeter something something that not a lot of people are doing but you know besides you know larry bird at a high clip no one else is really doing that so if you put someone who could do that at a high clip back then I think I think you see the same success you see now, if not more back then, because now, you know, we know the three point is a, the three point shot is a weapon and teams are trying to take that away. That's why we see teams getting away from the center, uh, getting away from post centric play, because that three points that one extra point will help you in the long run. That's why we see Golden State having such high success. Houston does have success, but obviously there's faults in their methods. That's why, like the James Harden thing, they uh, don't have enough to make that big push. Okay, he, there's two him centric, two, three, two. They take it too far with the three-point shot. But still, you put a guy in that era who can shoot the ball like that at a time where, where they aren't necessarily regarding that shot as a good shot, okay? Uh, they're letting you, to an extent, shoot that shot. Not always, but 
to an extent, okay? And because it's not necessarily a good shot, right? Uh, so you put a guy back then, or you, you, you put a guy then who can shoot the ball at a high clip, if not the highest clip ever, okay, the percentage at Durant, or let's say we put a, a point guard out there like Steph Curry, okay, the guy, the best three-point shooter uh, ever. You're telling me he's not going to thrive in, in a game where they're not worrying about the three-point shot necessarily, a game where the three-point shot is three feet inward towards the basket? You're telling me Steph Curry is not going to thrive in that environment? Okay, sh- that's when I just lose respect for you and as your basketball opinion, okay? Obviously, these players nowadays... If we are going to compare eras, come on, we got to do it right. <laughs> These guys nowadays, not everybody would translate. I wouldn't think James Harden would necessarily translate to be the same player uh, because of the rule set, how physical it was back then. I think they would take advantage of that. Him being a guy who needs a lot of calls, getting to the free throw line. Uh, I don't necessarily see him thriving in a game back then. But a guy like Steph Curry, who is not the most physical guy, but who can get banged up and still play, uh, just because, you know, he just needs to catch the ball at the three-point uh, line and shoot it. And he can, you know, get you 25 points a game just by doing that. Um, so, yes, I definitely think uh, he would, players uh, like that, like Durant, Steph, uh, definitely LeBron just because he would translate in any era. Like we see people saying that. And anybody who says he can't is just threatened by his talent, which I don't understand. You know, why can't you just accept that he's great and he would be great no matter when he played, okay? doesn't matter if he's a threat or if he's the biggest competitor competitor to uh, Jordan. Uh, no matter what, he would be able to play no matter where you stuck him, okay? Uh, so, yes, Jordan would would thrive in today's NBA and most or a lot of these stars at least would thrive like Antetokounmpo he'd be an awesome center he, he would be a power forward or I know he is now but he, he you know he dominates the ball but he would be a center and uh at the size he is now at least yes he would be able to dominate the game um so there are a lot of players now who would be able to go back then and play a lot like the players back then um but again there's not everybody not everybody would be able to so um, you can't. I, I, I understand them being uh, somewhat hesitant to say players can play back then because I don't think every player could play back then. Like I said, James Harden's a player who I don't think would fit. Let me think if I can think of another player off the top of my head who I wouldn't think. I think Ben Simmons would be like a, is again like a, like a Magic Johnson. Uh, it's because Magic wasn't the best shooter. That's why Ben isn't the best player right now. I know obviously he's an all-star type player. I have higher remarks for him. But again, that's the biggest flaw. He can't shoot. That's why we don't see him as one of the top, top players in the league. Because he can't shoot past, you know, uh, eight, nine feet. Uh, so, yes, I see, I see he'd be able to go back then. Um... My biggest thing that I'm on is like James Harden because I, I really don't think he'd be able to with with the same style of play, the physicality. I know he we would not see James Harden averaging the 36 points he is now. Uh, so that's a definite. And I definitely think Michael could average the 35-37. I don't know why everybody wants to say, yeah, he would average even more than what he did back then. Um, but sure, if that makes you feel better, yeah, maybe he could. You know, maybe he could. Sure. Uh, but... You know, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to come back talking about uh, Michael again and the Bulls. Uh, but I'm going to highlight the episodes five and six of the Last Dance documentary. And uh, it's going to dive into that. And then I'm going to touch on uh, the latest player uh, the Dallas Cowboys have signed. Okay? So I will be right back. All right. Hey, guys.
Guys, welcome back. Uh, so I want to start this half of the show by talking about, uh, like I said, episodes five and six of the Last Dance documentary. Uh, so obviously, uh, we saw the beginning of episode five uh, in memory, uh, obviously to Kobe Bryant. You know, rip Kobe. Obviously, um, you know it's been months now since he passed, and I think it's now really starting to settle with all of, with all of us that you know he's gone and. It's up to us to continue on uh, his legacy in a way and uh, honor him, you know, in a way in the in the game of basketball and you know what he did, uh, you know, him being an Oscar or an Oscar winner, you know. So, you know, the man the man could do almost anything, and I'm glad we uh, could see him again, you know, today or or on Sunday. I'm sorry, uh, but that's the way it started out. It was Michael. And it was Kobe, I, I believe, in Kobe's first All-Star game in 1998. Yeah, in 1998. I believe it was in, yeah, New York, okay? Madison Square Garden. And uh, I know it came out by Jordan and all the players in the East talking about, you know, that young guy in L.A. Uh, on the Lakers. Uh, even Mike saying back then, you know, and, and this videotape, as we know, it was raw. Uh, this is their real reactions to them living their life simply with a camera by them, you know, so we're getting their real thoughts, and as far as we know, right, um, but we're getting their real thoughts, and, and, you know, we saw him have a respect for him at, at Kobe, Kobe being so young, you know, in his first all-star year, we have, we saw Mike having, you know, such respect for him already, and, uh, we saw Kobe talking, uh, in the documentary, after the fact, and just basically saying that, you know, without Mike, uh, that his guidance on him, uh, talking about Kobe, his Michael's guidance on him or with him, uh, for or for him, you know, uh, was the reason for his success ultimately. You know, the five championships he said that don't, uh, aren't, aren't a thing, you know, that, that doesn't happen without Mike and his guidance for me. Uh, Kobe said that, and, uh, you know, that, that was big. He basically gave Mike credit for all of his accomplishments. And, wow, you know, that man had to have idolized him more than anybody else. And it really showed in his work ethic, in his game. You know, Mike even said he steals all my moves. That might be the one guy who could beat me one-on-one -on -one just because uh, he steals all my moves, you know. And Kobe's even said, you know, he models. We all know uh, his game is modeled after Mike, Michael Jordan, and uh, – it shows, and uh, the fact that Michael had, you know, such respect for him back then, and it's just great to see, you know, especially right now, seeing it now uh, means more than anything to, especially, I bet, to the Bryant family, seeing that right now, so it's perfect timing, great to see that, and it's it's just awesome, uh, but in episode five, also, after that All-Star game, we saw, you know, Michael winning the MVP in his final Big season with the Bulls, you know, uh, win the All-Star Game MVP, showing his dominance. Um, still, you know, we saw David Stern saying, you know, I'll only give you this if you come back and win it next year. You know, showing everybody's confidence in his game uh, still to that day and going forward. And that wasn't uh, even a thought to anybody, obviously, besides the Bulls uh, organization wanting to possibly, you know, break up the band. And uh, so we saw that, and then it really started talking about, obviously, with Mike, you got to start talking about Jordan's, you know, Air Jordan, the shoe brand. Uh, you know, we, we know he's made off, he's made more uh, off the shoes, off of his shoe brand than he has, you know, his playing career in the NBA. He's made more money that way. So uh, 
you know, when you talk about Michael Jordan, the first thing to some people are you're thinking about, you know, his shoes, his shoe brand. Uh, and we really got to see the start of that and why he chose Nike. And the reason he did, I think we were all like, what? Are you serious? And we all really had one person to thank. But, you know, the fact that Converse, which at the time was, you know, the hot shoe for NBA and for basketball with having Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, other notable players, uh, maybe Dr. J. But, you know, they have these great players and uh, for their brand. And then here's young Michael Jordan, you know, uh, killing it. You know, he's averaging t uh, insane points per game. He's he's taking the league by storm you know he's going to be the league mvp but but you know they they are they are comfortable with with what they have in you know the stars they had not really wanting to mess uh that feng shui up which i can't agree with i understand uh but still you the fact that converse turns down the biggest you know looking back at it now especially uh converse turns down the biggest star ever uh Arguably, you know, um, man, who screwed who screwed that one up? You know, I just want to know who's responsible for that that call. You know, saying no, we don't want uh, we don't want Michael Jordan on our brand, being the face of our brand. No, we're good. You know, we're good. We we have enough, and so so that eliminated Converse for Michael right away. Them, them basically saying, we don't want you. That was where Michael wanted to go because obviously that was where everybody else went, you know? So they said they don't want you uh, basically right to him. Michael's next choice, or arguably maybe his first, first choice, Adidas. Uh, that was Michael's favorite shoe. He was wearing them all the time, you know, at that time. Uh, but something I learned, and I think a lot of us did learn back then, was that Adidas was actually a pretty dysfunctional company and didn't even have the resources to give Michael his signature shoe anytime soon, which is obviously what they were wanting and what he deserved. You know, they wanted to start getting that money rolling, get 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 his his franchise going, you know, and and uh, his legacy going. And Adidas wasn't ready for economically and re didn't have the resources uh, to get that, to get that going, so they really screwed it, that, uh, also, you know, you, you also gotta look back and be like, man, why didn't you guys make time, you know, you know, uh, put that first, I, I, I don't know, obviously, you don't know, looking back at it now, you'd be like, yeah, we would have done that, but still, we, we gotta say that now, um, but finally, uh, there was Nike, uh, we saw Michael, we heard Michael actually, uh, saying he didn't even want to meet with them, them being uh, mainly like a runner, track runner shoe. When Nike was coming after him, you know, we heard, we saw people saying, they want Michael to be a track runner? And they're like, yes. Or obviously that was a joke, but uh, they wanted to show that not just a, a track runner could uh, wear their shoe. It could be used for the NBA at a high level. And, you know, why not get the best player in the league to start that off? But still, um, that's... Uh, Michael wasn't necessarily uh, thrilled with the idea of meeting with Nike based off that reputation, you know. Not necessarily a bad one, but they didn't have one in the NBA. And, you know, it was, like I said, the one person we have to thank is Michael's mom. You know, she was the one who made him go to the meeting and take the take the pitch with Nike. And ultimately, obviously, 
they had this air technology, which clicked with Michael because, you know, obviously he's always in the air. So hence Air Jordan. And then it's just, you know, history, history was born. It's been history ever since. And man, we just have, like I said, we have Michael's mom to thank for everything we have as far as Air Jordans and everything like that. So we have Michael's mom to thank. Um, And the fact that their first year, okay, listen to this, their first year, their goal was $3 million, million, okay, to make off Michael's signature shoe, Air Jordan. They made $126 million that year. Okay, so obviously exceeding their expectations by enormous percents, okay? Um, So... One year into the deal, obviously you have Nike, Converse just kind of having their foot in their mouth, being like, "What do we do?" You know, we we see a guy going for 126 million in the shoe game. That's not something we're seeing as far as the one guy goes. You know, um, so right away, Mikey, Nike, you know, hats off to you making the great decision. Michael's mom making the great decision, and Michael ultimately, you know, making that great decision with Nike. But that story, I, I don't think anybody knew about that, and I think uh, as far as like all the the real details that go into the story, at least, as far as I don't think anybody necessarily remembered it, and uh, having it brought up again, wow, really interesting. And as far as we know, you know the shoe game in the NBA, people say the shoe games, the shoe companies, you know, secretly run the league. And um, hearing this story about how uh, basically the powerhouse, the juggernaut now how they first got their name going. Uh, it was cool to hear in, in the ba- in, ba- in the basketball world, you know, at least. So it was really cool uh, to hear that and to, to learn that. Um, but also what I was a little surprised they confronted, uh, but I'm glad they did just get it out in the open because obviously it's not a, a real problem of his in his mind, obviously. Uh you know, Michael and his gambling, obviously. We know that when you think of Michael Jordan, another thing we think of is, you know, uh, his betting and his gambling, him on the golf course, you know, betting on every hole or, you know, him at the casinos or gambling's just something that goes uh, with his legacy. It's something you think of when you think of Michael Jordan. And uh, a story that I learned that I want to highlight that I did not know until Sunday was that uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, let's see, whenever they were facing the Knicks, they go down 2-0 to New York. The Bulls do. By the way, this Bull te- this, this Knicks team was basically Patrick Ewing um, and then some pretty good, a, a bunch of pretty good players. So Patrick Ewing and a bunch of pretty good players. Um, nothing, nothing else special past the, you know his name. And we saw the Bulls go down 2-0, and everybody really be surprised by that, and especially Michael. And then his his reaction, you know, to going down 2-0, wanting to get out of New York, you know. We see him go to Atlantic City for a night, the night before the, the game. Um, and back then, obviously, maybe that was a, controversial thing but that's not something I've ever really spoken about or really I hear brought up at least that's not something I hear mentioned uh, very often uh, so hearing that story about him you know wanting to take some pressure off go to go to Atlantic City the night before a big game it's it it makes me think of you know how different times are the fact that he was able to kind of sneak away for that amount of time 
during the playoffs, let alone the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, him being able to sneak away. Wow, you know, we saw uh, LeBron this season fly in the middle of the season uh, on game day to see his son play a game and fly right back uh, in an hour's hour span, you know, a couple hours span and uh that was a huge topic you know sports shows like this we're talking about it for days uh was lebron being uh stupid because they lost that game that day you know um was he being selfish putting his family before the league the, his team all all that but he was going to see his son play a basketball game and, and michael jordan's going to atlantic city it just shows, kind of shows, you know. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with him doing that. He's just blowing off some steam. Good for you. He, he's doing what he likes to do. Obviously, he likes to gamble. Him and his family and some friends went down to a casino and had some fun, gambled a little bit, and had some drinks, I'm sure, you know. All all the right to you. Um, But people's, I don't know. It just kind of shows, like I said, the, the difference. And... um kind of shows who Michael is. It's kind of funny and kind of cool thinking about it. You know, he's like, man, I'm down 2-0. I need to blow off some steam. I need to get out of the city. I'm going to go to Atlantic City. And, you know, I'm going to take some pressure off. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to do what I love and and hang out with who I love and try to relax and get my mind right to come back and beat these Knicks. Because everyone knew, you know, the Bulls should have not not, not necessarily dominated the series, but going down 2-0 they should have at least handled it, uh, split the series in New York, you know, one to one. Going down 2 0, I think, was a big disappointment for them. So that's why I think he really did need that little bit of vacation. You know, we saw Rodman, uh, not the same time, um, but we saw Rodman later on, you know, in the middle of the of the 98 season, need a vacation. So, you know, these players, you know, what they go through, they just need some time off sometimes. And I don't see the big deal in it, you know, and I don't necessarily think that. He had this huge gambling problem. Yes, I do think he gambled a lot. Maybe it was an issue for him. It's not necessarily something I'm educated on, so it's not something I'm going to assume and say about somebody. So, But, yes, I know he did like to gamble as part of his reputation. Uh, but, man, learning about that and and comparing it to today's game like I was earlier, you know, that in today's era, that would be huge news, you know. That would be huge and uh, like like the Giants, you know, we saw them before the playoff game go on that boat ride, and you know, ever since they've they've had a terrible record, not haven't been in the playoffs since. So, obviously, preparation's the best thing is the best thing for you. But obviously, sometimes these players need to blow some steam off and be themselves. And ultimately, we saw him be the best version of himself after that. So. Kudos to him for doing that. After that, obviously, uh, it highlighted my, uh, Michael and Charles Barkley and you know his Phoenix Suns, who were actually an offensive dominant team and the offensive uh, favorite. In in, in uh, when you're thinking about that series, you know back then they were the arguably the the better offensive team when you look at numbers and such. Obviously, when you have Michael Jordan and, and the players he had, I, I, I say, no, they didn't have the better offense. But when you look back then, numbers, st- statistically, yes, they did. Um, and we saw Barkley uh, really not do as well as, as he hoped. You know, he, he's the MVP. He beats Michael at MVP. He gets there. He does give him a little bit of a run for his money, but they fall down, what, 3-0, I believe, and they end up winning one to two games. But still, not... 
as far as for the best offensive team, better than the Bulls as, as far as stats that year, I expect more, you know. But still, that shows how dominant Charles was. And, and man, seeing how versatile he was and him handling the ball, being called the power forward. Uh, I think nowadays he's like Draymond, but on steroids, you know. Like, he can score. Draymond obviously is nowhere near not even in the same sentence as far as a score, but as far as the versatility, him being able to pass and dribble, rebound, rebound especially, but still he can pass, he can dribble, he can shoot, uh, he can bang around down low, he can guard, you know, he can play defense. So, man, uh, it really highlighted, I think, I really have some more appreciation for the, his talent at least and um, what he did, but, at least, but I do think that maybe uh, him and the that Suns team uh, – did not play up to their full potential whenever they they played those Bulls. But I can't blame them. You know, you play those guys, you can't help but be nervous. They even said in game one, they were nervous as hell. You know, you're going up against Michael Jordan and the Bulls. You're in your first finals appearance. You're young. Um, yeah, that's scary, man. So I can't, I can't blame them. Um, but still, I think they could have done better. Maybe could have gave them a little better run for their money. Um, but yeah, I really highlighted that. Um, you know, I heard a story. It wasn't brought up in the documentary, but I've heard a story about in those finals. You know, one of the reasons maybe Charles didn't guard Michael so hard is because Michael took Charles out uh, to play golf one of the one of the uh, nights after the games or in the midst of the series, and even bought Charles a really nice either a watch or an earring or some sort of jewelry. And ever since, there there was a clear uh, difference in 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 play as far as defense goes on Michael on Charles' behalf. And some people think that uh, obviously now we 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 see them not having a, a great relationship whatsoever. Maybe because Michael kind of used him in that sense you know, to get in his head, and and maybe Charles thought he was getting a new friend, hanging out with you know maybe. He's not so bad. He's you know he's not as bad as people say. Uh, but actually, Charles, you know, he's taking advantage of you, uh, trying to get into your head. And obviously, we saw the Bulls uh, just take control of that series, and you know, uh, take control of the Suns, and rightfully so. They are the better team. Um, but man, it was awesome to see Charles and that story. Uh, I mean, just hearing that story in the past and kind of getting to see it right in front of me. I'm like, man, okay. Now I I might understand why that happened, you know. Uh, but great so far. It ended uh, with us, you know, nearing into the 1998 playoffs. You know, Michael's final playoff run. Uh, so I'm really excited for the final two weeks, the final four chapters of the documentary. And, uh, yeah, they're going to f- uh, highlight that playoff run, which we know was one of the toughest for Jordan uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. We know they won seven games with the Pacers, so I cannot wait. We'll, we'll be coming up on that series here soon, so I'm excited to get highlighted on that run and what it took for them to get over that because um, we know that was a great team. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to see what's coming forward with that, but I want to pivot here uh, to my final topic, and obviously – uh, I've been talking about the NBA. I'm going to talk about something in the NFL. Okay, so the Dallas Cowboys, there's been talk about them and their quarterback situation for the past year. Yeah, for the past year now. And and I think everybody, including myself, is tired of talking about it. But finally, now that we're talking about, uh, now we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys and a quarterback, 
but it's not Dak Prescott. It is Andy Dalton, his possible replacement and or backup. Hopefully backup, but again, I'll get into that in a second. But so, the Cowboys sign a newly, really newly, a free agent Andy Dalton after getting released by the Bengals. Was with Cincinnati for years, even led them to floor, uh, sorry, four playoff appearances. Okay, and that's pretty impressive. Obviously, he had some help with like A.J. Green, and he had a couple of pretty good rosters, but still... Four playoff appearances is a career 62% completion rate or completion uh, percentage, a total 31,000 yards, 204 touchdowns to 118 interceptions, and has a uh, average of an 87.5 QB rating. So, and overall, he's he. he he can be a starting quarterback. He is a starting quarterback in the NFL. We've seen him have some rough years. We've, we've seen him have some Pro Bowl level years. So the 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 play, uh, the skill is there for him. He can come in and he can win games. Uh, we saw him struggle in Cincinnati recently, but we've seen the roster. You know, there's a reason. There's there are reasons he struggled. Okay, and there's reasons they are now restarting with Joe Burrow and restarting the team. You know. Um, that's why a lot of people have doubts on Joe Burrow and how he's going to do because he's in Cincinnati. Um, but still, we've seen him have some quality seasons, have some quality uh, plays in Cincinnati. And, you know, we saw him be a free agent for a day or so and get snatched up by Dallas. And I think it was simply because of this looming uh, quarterback situation that they've had. For the past year now, you know, um, it's been, is Dak going to sign? Um, oh, you're going to sign a, a linebacker. Oh, you're going to sign Zeke. You're going to sign a wide receiver. You're going to sign a tight end. You're going to sign, oh, and now another quarterback. So basically they're signing everybody but Dak. Okay. They sign another quarterback before they sign Dak Prescott, their franchise guy. So, but I don't think it's crazy. Okay. I actually think it is a good move okay with Dak and and this contract situation escalating and who knows what the end result may be it could be an ugly result that could ultimately reject the tag who knows how this could end up we ultimately have until about July 15th I believe until uh the big decisions are made the final decisions are made so we have until then but still things could get messy and there's not a lot of guys who are better to have at a backup position as far as the, at the quarterback position uh, than Andy Dalton, a guy who's been starting for years and years, okay? And I think there's a reason we see him getting snatched up so quickly compared to like guys like Cam Newton and Jameis Winston, who, who, who did get signed um, but still took a little bit of time. Um, he's a guy I'm talking about. Uh, Andy, who is someone a guy you can you can rely on. He's going to be there every day. He's not a big superstar ego type guy. He's going to show up, do his job. I'm not saying he's going to be an all pro level guy, but he's going to do his very best for you every day. Show up, and that's why we see him getting a job. And as we can see in his numbers, we've we, we've seen him have uh, some pretty solid seasons. You know, one in specific. 
he had a 25, I don't have the specific year, but I see 25 touchdowns to only seven interceptions and then 106 QB rating. So obviously that was one of his Pro Bowl years. Um, it's there. That was years ago, but it's there. Um, there's a reason he's been starting. And, you know, what a better move to show Dak Prescott. You know, if you if you are really threatening to hold out without a contract, which, you know, at, at this point, I, I I really have my foot in both camps. It's hard for me to talk about it. And like I said, I'm kind of done talking about it after a year now. Um, but with Dak still uh, somewhat being difficult, you could say, um, what what a better move to show him, hey, if you are thinking about not playing, we have someone who can step in. And, you know, he's not uh, Brandon Rush or Cooper Rush, I'm sorry. Or, uh, I'm, or what was his name? Yeah, I think that was a backup quarterback for the Cowboys. I'm sorry. That's my point. I was blanking on his name, and I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. That just proves. That, that was a lot of Dak's leverage, you know. Uh, who are you going to send out there and play if I hold out, okay? You're sending no name out there. Um, so I'm looking pretty good. It looks like I'm going to get what I want. Nope. Looks like Jerry Jones goes out, makes a steal, uh, $3 million. Some people said it's kind of a lot when you already have a backup quarterback. We see them. Uh, we saw Dallas release the, their backup quarterback in, in place for Dalton. And... Uh, Man, I just think it was a good move. It really was a leverage move showing Dak that if you want to set out, we have someone who can come in and, and win games, especially with the weapons we have, just adding C.D. Lamb. Uh, you know, that offense is going to be ranked in the top three in the NFL. Uh, I don't think there's many teams better. To, I don't think there's more than two to three teams better as far as offense than the Dallas Cowboys when you're looking on paper weapons-wise. Um, so it's hard to to say no to that and it's hard for a quarterback to walk in an experienced quarterback to walk in and to not do necessarily well to do bad you know that's i don't think that's something we're going to see <coughs> excuse me um it's at least not like i said with the weapons around him and his experience so definitely the upper move uh the in the game of chess uh you know advantage goes to Jerry Jones showing that that if he does still want uh, to play hardball and not ring up or call Jerry, and uh, who knows? We don't know the exact number. Obviously, Dak is asking, but as far as we know, what everybody's speculating on is it's big money, and it's money that the team is not comfortable spending. And Jerry Jones, being a guy comfortable, very comfortable writing big checks to players, not always worth that big check. Uh, and, and seeing him struggle so much with the stack deal can be kind of concerning. Makes you kind of think that, that the number Dak is asking for is kind of outrageous. So, again, I got my foot in both camps here. I don't want to say anything I'll regret anything. But still, advantage, Jerry Jones, uh, great move. Andy Dalton, not, uh, like I said, not a lot of guys better coming off uh, your bench for the backup quarterback position. That's why we saw, like I said, a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, uh, not the most skillful guy, but a reliable, uh, a winning record guy who can come in and will ball, uh, win ball games, and he can can even be uh, a game manager for you when you have a great offense and a great defense or uh, an adequate defense, you know. But still, great move. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. I'm excited, uh, but still, they got to get that Dak situation done. 
as you can see, we haven't been talking about that just because it's old news, you know. I I don't want to talk about the same situation for a year and a half. It just gets old. Uh, like I said, being a dead horse basically is is what they've been doing with this DAX situation. Is what at least at least that's what, how I feel. It's been held, and I'm just tired of talking about it. I think this is kind of a kick in DAX butt, being like, hey. You know, snap up. Are you you want to make a deal with us or not? This is the time we made, we made this move, and uh, you know the ball it's in your court now. We made our move. We're, we're ready to move forward in the season. Uh, would you like to be a part of this? Because we would love to have you. But if not, you know we're not necessarily gonna lose that much sleep. Okay. Because I think Andy Dalton is a guy who can come in, and with that offense, they're they're estimated to win about, I believe it's at nine games. I could see Andy Dalton coming in, winning seven to eight games with that offense. I could I could see him winning seven, maybe eight games. Hell, maybe if he, he plays great in that offense, and with Mike McCarthy, they win that nine games. I wouldn't go over that at all. I would say nine games is definitely my limit with them. Uh, that would be an amazing season. But again, I, my I still think Andy Dalton could go out with that team and get seven wins, six, seven wins, so comfortably. Um, so yeah, definitely a great move by the Cowboys. Makes me as a Cowboy fan feel pretty good as far as moving forward. Uh, not as big a question at that quarterback spot. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Feel pretty good. Um, but as far as today's episode, guys, that's going to be it for Dudes Talking Sports. Thanks for listening, as always, and uh, I will see you guys next week.